Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Mike's Podcast. It is good to have you back with us here. And um, I was so glad to hear from so many of you who resonated with um, the things that we've been talking about in the post-evangelical church and was so glad to hear from so many of you about that. And so what I am going to do is I'm going to be interviewing probably over the next couple of months at different times, different friends who are leading in this space in different kinds of ways. And so today you're going to get to hear from my friend, Lindsay Nobles. And Lindsay, Lindsay works with an organization called Onsite, and she'll talk a bit about Onsite uh, later on in the podcast. And um, Lindsay had been, before she was at Onsite, she worked with a group called the If Gathering that many of you maybe are familiar with, especially if you are a Christian woman. Uh, they have a significant influence in that space, and she was the COO and strategist there for a while, and she talks a bit about uh, why she transitioned out of that and what was going on there. And I'm really excited to have Lindsay here with us because I think she helps to give a bit of perspective on, like, while she, she I think, in so many ways fits in the post-evangelical space and has helped to bring together leaders in that space, she's not a pastor. And so you hear uh, her talk about what like she's looking for there and why she was bringing people together there, like what she wanted out of that space in a different kind of way than you're going to hear from me or from Jason or from maybe some of the other people that we're going to have on here. And so I love that. I think a lot of you are going to resonate with Lindsay and her experience and her story. And so thanks for hanging in here with us. Um, Lindsay, I thought maybe where we'd start is is maybe just sharing a little bit of your story, like where you grew up and and how you got involved in faith, like what some some of your like faith journey has sort of looked like for you. Yeah, um, it all, I always feel so old. I feel like I normally feel young, but then when I like go all the way back and talk about all the different <laughs> places I lived or things I've done, I start to feel really old. Um, so I would say my faith journey. I grew up in Dallas, Texas which feels like one of those hubs of Christianity in the United States for sure. Yeah. It's and, like the um, belt buckle of the Bible belt I've heard. Yeah? Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, and so I grew up in a pretty affluent neighborhood where it wasn't about whether or not you went to church, but what church you went to. Hmm. And there was, you know, like the, the Baptist kids and the Presbyterian kids and, you know, there were there was K Life, which was Canacuck, which is a big Christian camp in the South. They had like a discipleship ministry, and then there was Young Life. And I remember in high school, I switched from going to K Life to Young Life, and all my friends were like worried about my salvation. <laughs> they were like, "There are kids at Young Life that smoke." Um, so it just was sort of that like very cultural Christianity space that I grew up in, and. I think, you know, now that I am in my 40s and have been through a lot of life and a good bit of counseling, one of the things I've realized at what is that one of the defining moments for me, although I didn't realize it at the time, was I grew up in a Presbyterian church that when I was in middle school, it went through a pretty dramatic split. Mm -hmm. um, it split into like a, there was a new PCA church that sort of a lot of people like left and took their money out of the church that I'd grown up in. And it was like very contentious. And I think behind the scenes, it was a lot of it was about money, but also about 
politics and um, theology and all those things sort of tied together. And I just remember being so saddened by mm. this divisiveness and hated um, sort of the judgment of like, oh, you're staying at the church and what that meant. And because um, I really, my parents, I would say that their motivation for staying wasn't even theological as much as it was like, this is just where we've been, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think, you know, now I look at sort of my story and adult and a lot of my religious experience, and I sort of have always wanted there to be room for like gray areas and mystery and like the lack of the binary choices that I feel like we get pushed into a lot in American Christianity. Uh, So that was just something early on that was really defining. But um, so grew up in the church, went to University of Colorado, still was super involved with Young Life in college, and then sort of started to stray away from the church a bit um, and just kind of do life on my own. And in my 20s, sort of started getting back involved and sort of really actively going to church and being involved in a church. And um landed in Nashville and I worked for a big Christian publisher in town um, and went to a big church called Cross Point here in Nashville. Yep. Super close to a lot of the staff and the team. And um, were you ever on staff at Cross Point or no? No, just all okay. like my, clo- all, all my closest friends were kind of inv- involved and on staff and on the board and stuff. And so Cross Point sort of went through a dramatic pastor shift several years ago and I was really close to a lot of the people that were sort of had shrapnel from that shift. Sure. Yeah. And still am. So, I mean, I think I've seen a lot of uh, just the hard parts and the underbelly of the church. Yeah. Um, that, you know, I've, I've always been grateful for, a spirituality that was bigger than just sort of mm. my experience in a religious community. That's that yeah. served me well, I guess. Yeah. I like that. Um, I recently had on our mutual friend, Jason Miller on here yes, and talking about some similar sorts of, of things, but as a pastor and kind of talking about the pastoral perspective and I wanted you to come on um Cause I think one, like you're super interesting and really thoughtful and I have a lot of respect for you. And, um, and I think you'd provide a really helpful, like non pastoral perspective of some of the moment that we're in, in sort of like what's happening in the church. And you also have your finger on the pulse of that a bit in some different ways because of who you're connected to and some of the work that you do. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to ask you a bit about is like you were for a while, you were leading in the leadership team of a, of a large national parachurch organization. It had become pretty known. It had become pretty influential. And, and so I wanted to ask you a bit about that because I think a lot of folks just kind of in the church world don't have sort of a, um, don't, don't actually like aren't attuned to like, why would they be thinking about like sort of like the underbelly as you were talking about, or like the things behind the curtain that sort of influence the way we think about faith, the way we do church, all that sort of stuff. So I thought maybe even first I'd ask you a little bit about like, what did it feel like to even like be a part of this, 
this national organization that was having this impact in the church. Yeah. So um, the organization that you're talking about, If Gathering, I uh, uh, was good friends with Jenny Allen, who is the founder of If, and had connected with her and sort of helped even, you know, before we'd even established a name or anything for the organization, just been building behind the scenes, building relationships of trying to create this community and this, what now is like a parachurch organization to help really gather women. At the time, there weren't a lot of, women's ministry had kind of gone away in the church. Um, And the thing that really drew me to it was I had a lot of friends from, working in Christian publishing that were um, speakers on the sort of women's ministry circuit. And we all kind of lamented that we would never go to these events that they were speaking at, that Hmm. a lot of what still existed in churches were sort of um, women's ministry that sort of only saw a, a woman that was, had a pretty traditional um, maybe view a family and marriage. And so they meet at like 10 and, you know, have childcare provided. And so me as a single working woman, I just was like, there's nothing sort of in the church to support me or a lot of the friends that I know from around the country. And so trying yeah. to like build something to kind of meet that need. Um, and it's been really cool now. Um you know, almost a decade later, seeing how much that I feel like churches have started to really bring that back and do it in a way that's broadened sort of their vision of what a woman is. And, you know, Mm. like, um, all the really sort of seeing the women that are single or, um, work working in, um, yeah. And can't sort of stay at home and raise their kids full time. So, yeah. I mean, I think in some ways, like without overstating it, the the if gathering did help to like push some things in that direction, I think is a valid thing to yeah, say. Yeah, for sure. Because I think it was like at the time we were trying to like build the trust of churches. And I think there are a lot of big churches that ended up seeing as if gathering caught momentum, there are a lot of churches that saw the need and they didn't want to send their women out to do this. And so they've kind of built it back. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting watching sort of that, the revival of women's ministry and sort of it take on a new shape and form, which I think is really healthy. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, so you helped to build that and it builds this thing behind the scenes. And then pretty soon at some point doing large gatherings, like big name speakers are a part of it. Women are traveling from all over the country to be a part of the events that you're putting on and you're you're affecting what's happening in, in large churches around the country in some some ways. And at some point you end up uh, feeling like you needed to step out of that. Do you mind talking a little bit about like what was some of the stuff behind that? Yeah. Um, no, I don't mind. Um, I guess I will talk about it. Um, <laughs> I think that there were several things that played sort of a role in that, the need for a transition. One was like the original vision of if gathering and the one that really compelled me to want to like give up the life I had had in Nashville and move to Austin where if was uh, based at the time 
and really pour my life and livelihood into this vision was that it was about the idea of gathering, equipping and unleashing women. And so it was this really broad gathering space that I've always is the vision that I've always been drawn to. Um, And I think that I remember early on, we had discussions about sort of that vision and was that okay, like to gather women, even our, the leadership team in the early days of if was like a pretty broad collection of women that thought really differently about women's role in the church and around, you know, different expressions of what the church could look like. And so. So you um, have this leadership team where you have women who feel like the, the church is called to empower women in all roles in the church. And then you've also got women on leadership team who are like, no, like women can't be preaching from the stage. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it was like, we were doing it in a way of like, Hey, let's gather about the things that we have in common, you know? And it was, um, and so that was just the vision that I fell in love with. And I think over time that got harder and harder to maintain, you know, as the, um, there's been more and more discussion around, you know, um, homosexuality and inclusivity in the church and what that looks like. Um, that was just affecting sort of the structure of if at the time in a major way that just felt hard for me to wrestle through. Um, and just personally, as somebody, as I said earlier, like one of the things that I care a lot about is like that, um, that we can remove some of the binary thinking around our of what God is or is not and and what's acceptable or isn't like, I see a pretty broad gray area. Um, and so I think that one of the things that really, um, sort of over time made me want to move out of it was realizing like we're, we've steered far from this, we're steering further and further from this vision that I felt called to. And so just sort of wrestling with, my own passion for it, my own calling in it and realizing that those things weren't overlapping anymore. Um, And then the other thing was just, and I think this happens with so many ministry leaders is we were growing this young organization that with like a bunch of interns (laughs) Hmm. and um, it sort of, we were just in this constant state of sort of building and stretching ourselves. And I just was so burnt out, you know, like after, several years that it had taken a toll of just caring for their staff the way I wanted to and the organization that I just was sort of operating on fumes and needed to kind of untangle my professional life, my spiritual life and my friendships a bit. Like they were all sort of tied up in this messy knot and it was hard to, you know, like figure out, who I was in the midst of it. So, yeah, I, I want to ask you a little bit about that maybe in a, in a few minutes, because, um, uh, the work that you're involved in now, I would assume like you're connecting with pastors going through burnout and ministry leaders yeah. going through burnout. That's your, what, what's your dog's name? That's Maisie. She got Maisie. excited about, I guess there's movement outside the front door. <laughs> Hello, Maisie. Um, so some of the work that you're you're doing now is invest in that space. I think it'd be interesting for people to know about like pastoral burnout in general and like kind of what's yeah. what's happening in the church there. But before we go there, you're talking about um, 
uh, sort of like lines in the sand in some ways that were kind of being drawn. It sounds like I, I had the, I interviewed the ethicist David Gushy recently on his book after evangelicalism and Gushy, I don't know if you know, he essentially got blacklisted in the evangelical church when he had, he was, a his textbook on ethics was a major textbook in seminaries and stuff. And then he came out as affirming and gets blacklisted as a result of that. And so, um, so he was telling me he sees right now as LGBTQ inclusion in the church as becoming the dividing line, or actually has already become the dividing line in the sand in the church, that this has become this central issue for so many people where you at one time could build this big tent coalition. And then now you have this big tent coalition. And if somebody falls on the wrong side of that line, the whole coalition falls apart. Um, are, are you seeing that happening kind of yeah, at large that, as well? I mean, I think that, um, I definitely have seen that be a line in the sand that people have drawn. And I think that usually it is around the biblical interpretation is the, the nuance that they would say is like, sure. I think that's like the follow-up question is sort of if, if they're wanting to know if you're affirming, do you still believe in the Bible? Like what else would you give up in it? And so I'm probably not, the most theological person to talk through it, but I've just always um, been intrigued by, I I think that there is a way to hold uh, a lot of respect for the word of God and belief in the word of God and still um, be an affirming church. And so I, I, um, let smarter people like Jason talk about this and, and learn from them. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, and and Jason's got a great sermon. Oh my it. gosh. I point everyone to his sermon on it. And, and I think what I love about Jason's posture in his sermon and really in his life is that, that it's not about being right and wrong. You know, he talks about where the research that he's done and where he's landed on it. But he does it in a way with a lack of condemnation for people that are interpreting it differently. And I think I've always desired to find pastors that were trying to teach me to learn how to make decisions for myself instead of like telling me what the word of God meant, you know, explicitly. And, and so I feel so grateful for the voices in my life, like you and Jason and Justin and other people that have helped me just begin to make God more expansive Hmm. and question things that I was already kind of curious about and not in a way that makes me let go of some of the let go of like the power of God or the goodness of him, but that they sort of help me see that it's, he's bigger and more powerful and that it's sort of beyond, it can be beyond our comprehension and full of mystery. So yeah, yeah. I just am always grateful to, for the voices that do that well and I can learn I, from. I like that a lot. I had this um, 
like realization a few years ago, I was reading one of N.T. Wright's books and he was talking about um, Paul. He said the apostle Paul wasn't teaching people what to think, but he was teaching them how to think. He said he was teaching them how to think messianically. Now that the Messiah has come, like we see things differently. We think about things differently. And so he's giving examples of like, these are examples, but this isn't like, I'm not teaching you what to think. I'm giving you examples to ignite your imagination, to teach you how to think. And it's such a, it's such a harder way to teach. And there's definitely less people who are able to preach in that kind of direction. Um, but it's such a beautiful thing when you can find it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and our friends Jason uh, Miller, Justin Morgan, they're great at doing things like that. Um, I'm I'm kind of curious about, and I might be off on this, and I want you to tell me if I'm off on this, because since you have, um, since you've been involved in publishing, you've been involved in conferences, you've been involved in a lot of like the th- the the thing behind the thing in some of what is going on in the church at large in the United States, and what influences even the church at large in the United States. The Books that get published influence the way we think about faith here. The curriculum that goes out influences the way that churches are thinking about talking about faith. The conferences that are going on influence all those sorts of things influence the things. I'm wondering when there are these like lines in the sand that get drawn and they get drawn over different kinds of things in different kinds of spaces. um, It has seemed to me that my experience has been the, the funding, the economics tend to move towards the more conservative vantage point of whatever the line in the sand is. And so what ends up happening is those are the voices that end up publishing. Those are the voices that end up speaking from the large stages. Those are the voices. And that what's, and so those are the things that are all affecting the way that people are thinking about and understanding faith in so many ways. And really what's driving that in some ways are economics and so a working theory that I've just kind of been bouncing around on is that our the economic engine is actually driving the theological vantage point that a lot of people hold in the United States. And we don't even realize how much that's the case. Am I being yeah. too cynical? Am I off? No, I think that part of that, I think that your theory is true. I think that a lot of... Im- from my point of view, a lot of that though is based on reaction to a broader culture and media. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that it seems to me like there is a fear of sort of where culture is headed. And so the reaction to that is sort of what feels more funded of like this, this Christian idea and Christian nation and a need to, fight liberalism. Okay. I I mean, it just is sort of, I I think that under that is just a fear of a degradation maybe of society or demoralization. Yeah. And this is an area where I can control that not happening. Yeah. I I mean, it's just my, my theory is that, yeah, I think that there's a, a fear that Hollywood or the liberal elite are sort of, taking culture someplace and that there's a need to balance it out um, within the, and that the Christi- Christians are responsible for that sort of. Interesting. Okay. I, I don't um, know if that's true, but that's true. And one of the things that I, where I've seen that is like living in Austin. Yeah. Which is a pretty liberal town. Like it's so interesting to, it was interesting moving there from Nashville 
where there's tons mm-hmm. of Christianity and stuff. But in Austin, the Christianity felt more conservative and staunchly so. And it, and I thought always uh, thought that it was in reaction to like being different than the city. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That would be super fascinating to kind of see how that plays out in different, in different cities that are maybe more blue or more red and what sort of the, the collective consciousness of the church experiences in those spaces. Yeah. Um, uh, on a on a little bit different kind of angle, you had helped to put together a gathering of people that you knew who, for lack of a better term, I think what we've been using lately is they're part of the post-evangelical church space, leaders who are in that sort of space. So um, so that's where you and I met is, is in that. And when you wanted to start kind of putting people together there, like what was what was driving that for you? What was sort of like your hope of like, what what were you yeah what were you hoping would come out of that i think especially i moved a lot prof- because of professional reasons and then it sort of sent me looking for churches and areas mm-hmm. that i haven't lived before so i was always like looking for spaces uh, of people that felt more like what or like viewed god the way i viewed him and was wanting to learn from more voices and so i think that having my experience with if, if gathering, I'm like, they're all, there's all this breadth of women. There are all these different people. And Nashville is full of people too, that sort of um, think so differently about God. But it, I think it feels hard that there's like either a progressive Christian narrative or a conservative Christian narrative. And like, how yeah. do we broaden and um, even start to like, hold you know like I think what I said to Jason early on is like he like so well holds to orthodoxy and isn't letting go of everything but that he's also like creating a framework for the mystery and a deeper understanding and of social justice and racial reconciliation and healing and sort of bringing all these things together and I'm like where are other people that are doing that where's somebody in who's somebody in Nashville that's doing that who's somebody that I can send my Austin friends to a church that's doing that I just think there's like people are coming to me all the time looking for it I probably get like a text a week of somebody being like hey do you know yeah and there's so many churches in Nashville but there's so many people looking for a church in Nashville that like will kind of hold these tensions mm-hmm. instead of like um, alienating one side or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember one of the things that we were talking about early on was not trading one form of exclusion for another of not, not creating a space that was a bunch of people who had moved out of conservative fundamentalism and had just become progressive fundamentalists that it was just two sides of the same coin. And um, I remember one of our mutual friends said a phrase that has stuck with me that um, in one of our gatherings, he said, I didn't move from conservative to progressive. I moved from closed to open. Mm, And I I felt a lot of resonance with that sort of statement. And open has room for a lot of tensions. Yeah. And I think for me, it's like I come back to like the ideas of like the fruits of the spirit and like what what's a compelling vision of God that I can live out authentically, you know, in my life that would like draw other people towards 
me or God in me. And I think that so often when um, I worked sort of more in the professional Christian space, it felt like the the fruits of the spirit or the fruit of your labor was like judged on how many people were showing up. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was such an interesting distortion of like such a beautiful part of the Bible, you know, that it's not like our fruit isn't like filling a stadium or fruit is like our character. Yeah. 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 And, and that, I think it's like looking for just good fruit. Is yeah, something that the seems so that compelling to me. And so it's like, who are people that are like living in, in an authentic way? Not, I mean, I think that's one thing that we see at onsite where I work now, uh, we're a faith inclusive, um, emotional health retreat center. And it's so cool to see people come there to get healing and just be able to be themselves. Hmm. I think it's like, there's such a need for like, um, being able to, for us to be able to be honest about our struggles and like to be meet it, to be met with grace and for me, I experienced that in a small group at a living centered program in a way that I never experienced that in the church. Um, Can you talk about that a little bit? What, why do you feel like you experienced like authenticity and grace there in a way that you didn't experience in the church? Because I think that it is the space that is set up at onsite is intended to make people feel safe and secure and you learn how to sort of bring down your walls in a way that are appropriate in that space and that you're met with people affirming that they see you Mm -hmm. and encouraging you to sort of, um, you know, like keep on and to, they're telling you what they have in common with your experience in a way that makes you feel like you're not alone or crazy. And I think so often, unfortunately in the American church, it's like we, we gussy up before we go to church, you know, like we would never show up with our messy authentic selves because it wouldn't be appropriate. And we're all told that we need, if we were good Christians, we, would be turning away from those things. And, you know, like, but I think there's such a need for us to be able to show up and be honest and be met with grace, but it's, we don't create environments where that can happen. Yeah. Would you say to circle back to like the um, ministry burnout that you're talking about that you experienced, do you think a part of what contributes to so many pastors and ministry leaders and the professional Christians going through burnout experiences is the, inability to feel like you can show up in, in the church or in your ministry space as your full authentic self. Yeah. Yeah. In, in their relationships and with people that, you know, they're closest to, I think you sort of start to believe over and over again that you have to be this perfect person to like fill a role and nobody else. Yeah. I used to, um, when I was pastoring, I had a phrase I started to use where I would say, I will, I never say anything that I don't think is true, but I will, but I never tell everybody what I think is fully true. So it always felt like there are these guardrails up. And if I, 
if I bump past those guardrails, like I don't know what happens. And so I'm going to make sure I stay within those guardrails. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to from the stage lie. I'm not going to say anything I don't believe to be true, but I'm also going to be really mindful of where those guardrails are. And I'm going to be in conversations with people and I'm going to be really mindful where those guardrails are. And you, you don't feel like you can like push beyond that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that can be limiting on days that you experience doubt or fear or which happens to everybody, right? Yeah. And not just doubt and fear, even like um, that you're asking new questions, that there are new things that are causing you to ask new questions that you'd never asked before. You're challenging some of the ideas that you'd held strongly onto, even ideas that you had... um, strongly advocated for and now you're now you're questioning those things and like where like where how can you do that where can you do that what does that look like yeah it's really difficult to figure out that space yeah yeah um so you said that you're getting like a text message a week from somebody who's like looking for a church they're trying to find churches that kind of like um uh, i'm guessing are what you're describing are able to sit in this sort of tension that there's space for a, a bigger and more expansive picture of who God is. And and with that, that creates a tension of that this is going to be this big tent that's going to have a lot of different kinds of people in a lot of different kinds of spaces. What do you say to people who find themselves in that sort of a space and they're just not able to find a church? Like, what kinds of advice are you giving them as to like how, how do they live out their faith? How do they engage in that? What does that mean or look like for them? Um, well, I think COVID has served <laughs> all those people yes. well because yep. we're all finding online churches um, that I think certainly are fulfilling what we need right now while we're all at home. But I think, you know, afterwards, I would love there to be like a network or some sort of way that you could like start to find these communities that are sort of have a similar heartbeat. Because um, I think people are looking for it. Yeah, I think so. And I think um, one of the things I talked to Jason about on the podcast was how, how much it's kind of like when you get a new car and all of a sudden you see that car everywhere that like, I feel like one of the things that's happened is the more and more that I've engaged in these conversations with church leaders, the more and more I keep finding like, Oh, there are a number of people who are doing this kind of work, who are trying to be in this kind of space in all kinds of different places around the country. And I just wasn't aware of it. And like my eyes are slowly getting open to it. I feel like. That's awesome. Yeah. It is. It's funny because I think we all live in a bit more of an echo chamber than we realize. Yeah. And when you feel like you don't fit in your echo chamber, it's pretty lonely. But I think then once you step out of it and you're in a different space, you're like, Oh, that voice actually isn't as loud as I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, there are all these other people and all these different expressions. Um, I've, I've realized that as I've just sort of changed, cold down people that I'm like listening to on social media and that you're like, Oh, there's so many different, um, people that are so creative and thinking so differently. And I think I find assurance in that, that, you know, that's good. Well, um, then let me ask you kind of along those lines, is there anything that you are reading or people that you're listening to or whatever Instagram accounts that you're paying attention to right now that you think, oh, this would be helpful for others? Like I found the kinds of people that listen to this podcast are often in some sort of like 
uh, I've described them as like in some sort of faith transition that in some sort of way, some piece of or all of the faith that they had grown up with or the faith that they had known for a while doesn't make sense for them anymore. And the, they're often, the people I'm interacting with who listen to this are often trying to figure out some sort of way forward. And I know like you're really thoughtful and in, in listening to and paying attention to and reading like a lot of good stuff. So I would love for them to have a few like what are, yeah, places that you could point them towards. Yeah. Um, um, I would say my favorite, the book that I recommend to everybody is Parker Palmer's Let Your Life Speak. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Oh my, I think I underlined every word. He is, <laughs> and I follow him on Facebook and I love him. I would like I didn't to even go know he is, I would have, I would have never guessed Parker Palmer's on oh, Facebook. He's I'm like a good social justice guy, like has the best wisdom about the election and he puts everything in such beautiful perspective and he's such a good writer. Um, and then I always go back to Brennan Manning. Mm, I mean, yeah. I, I like just started rereading Abba's Child yes. and have ruthless trust on my bedside. But just people like voices that feel a little more messy and tenured <laughs> feel yeah. like really assuring to me in this time. I like that a lot. Um, I got to one time be a part of a two day retreat with Brennan Manning. And so cool. um, it was so cool. He shows up in these tattered jeans that are um, they're just all patched up and he just sits down and he just starts talking. And there's this like um, he was one of those people. I feel like I've only gotten to be with a handful of people like this, that like when he walks in the room, there's this like this this presence with him in a way where um he doesn't necessarily have to say anything super eloquent. You can just tell this man has been with Jesus and you just want to be with him wherever he goes. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, something about him. My favorite Christmassy thing for this time of year too is uh, Behold the Lamb of God. Have you listened yeah. to that? Andrew Peterson wrote the sort of song of the story of the coming of Christ and it is just so beautiful and I love listening to it this time of year because it just sort of is grounding and so cool to make art make that story come to life in the way that it does so yeah I love that one of my former elders loved that book and passed it on to me a few years ago um and I know it's been really meaningful for a few people I've been going through this year um Scott Erickson's uh, oh, yeah. Advent book that he came out with which I've really appreciated and enjoyed and it's been a different uh kind of angle and experience that's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, hey, before we get off here, I did want to like ha have you share a little bit about OnSite because I think um, uh, one of the things I've found is as I've interacted with people um, and have mentioned you or mentioned OnSite is it's a bit more known in the South and Midwest and it's a bit less known on the West Coast. And I know you guys just recently opened up a thing on the West Coast and San Diego area. Um, and Allison and I went through, because of COVID, we were able to do an on-site program and we went through, I think it was the living centered program that happened, uh, early on in COVID and it was really meaningful and helpful for us and we really appreciated it. And I would love for people to know a bit about the work that you're doing there. Yeah. So we have a emotional health retreat center that's located about an hour outside of Nashville on 250 acres, um, in West Tennessee. And 
it's just a beautiful, sacred healing place um, mm. that I got to go sort of when I was experiencing burnout. Um, and we do small group um, therapeutic workshops that can be for people that are, you know, stressed and burnout, experiencing a lot of anxiety, having relationship issues. It sort of runs the gamut. We definitely have people that come in crisis. And then we have a lot of people that sometimes are at their height of their personal and professional lives. And they're just not feeling sort of all the magic that comes with achieving all their goals that they thought they'd feel. So, um, and so we do, you know, counseling intensive, these week long workshops, and we also have a residential trauma treatment facility um, where people come and stay a little bit longer. So it's a pretty magical place. And then during COVID, we started launching digital courses. And so we have one that's called 30 Days of Living Centered. And then we launched a course this fall called Rediscovering You that takes people on a journey sort of assessing like, how am I? How are my relationships? How's my support structure? How do I better do a better job of getting in touch with my feelings and what's going on with me? And then starting to look at your past and where some of those patterns came from and your family of origin, and then start looking to your future and where do you want to go and what's getting in the way of getting there. So it's been really fun. My team gets to be really involved in sort of the building a lot of, of a lot of the new things that we're doing. And yeah. so that's been really fun in the season getting um everybody's kind of excited about all the digital stuff that we're launching so i love it tell me about the horses because i always see you take pictures with horses at on-site we've got a herd of nine okay at on-site and they're just the best so is that a part of the program do i get to ride a horse if i go you don't you probably won't get to ride a horse but we do do equine therapy uh in our counseling intensive and then with our milestones clients so, um, and just, I was out, uh, with miles yesterday and we had a friend on campus and he was doing some equine work with them. And it's just so powerful what they reflect back to us, what horses reflect back to us and sort of how they can help us, um, sort of ground in the present and sort of regulate our emotions. And e- what, what is equine work? Equine therapy. So it's just therapeutic work where you sort of start, you work, you spend time with a horse. Yeah. And a therapist. And they sort of help you see sort of yourself through the horse almost. I'm probably not describing it perfectly, but that's super fascinating. I, I genuinely thought like the horses were to like go on a ride to like forget my troubles. And, but like that there's something more significant than that. No, no. Yeah. There's something more significant than that. And, but it is amazing. Even, um, so many of our clients that don't have like an equine therapy session, but that just interact with the horses that like, that's their memorable moment from onsite, this moment that they had with a horse, like just hanging over the fence. So interesting. they're incredible creatures and we all love them on campus. So <laughs> I love it. I want to get out there sometime just to get to hang out with the horses. Yeah. Well, I'm like. glad that I set your expectation that you're not going on a trail ride. <laughs> no, that's important. <laughs> yeah, that, that's important. That's good. Um, we do have programs, though, where you can we do two equine focused programs. So it's like a whole week. They do one in Montana in the um 
in the close to Glacier National Park. Oh my gosh, one of and my favorite places. They ride in, you camp, and then ride out of the wilderness and yeah. spend a week camping and hang out with horses and learning about yourself. And then we do one at a dude ranch, which is more my speed where you like sleep in a nice comfortable bed and have great food. Okay. And then just get to spend time with the horses during the days. I mean, it sounds to me like a little bit of city slickers. Remember that movie? Oh yeah. We're both a little older. Yeah. Um, I always wanted to have the city slickers experience. So that's. Yeah. You could, you could have it. I could do that. And get well at the same time. I love it. I love it. Um, well, Lindsay, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for you. I'm grateful for, um, I'm grateful for who you are, but I'm also grateful for like the work that you've done in the church. And like, I think you have had an impact on the church in all kinds of ways behind the scenes that a lot of people would never recognize, but that you've actually impacted their faith journey and you've impacted their church. And, um, and so I'm really grateful for the way that you've done that. And even for um, some of the ways that you're trying to help put together things in this in this post evangelical space for to create space for the church to to be in tension with a with a more expansive God than what some of us have been used to. So thanks. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Well, friends, again, as always, thanks again for joining us on here. Um, I'm really glad that you got to meet my friend Lindsay. Um, I think that she's really great. And she has done and is doing really important and significant work that um, is furthering the church. So thanks for tuning in. I also wanted to just kind of follow up on last time I let you know that um, that one of the things that I'm doing over the next few years is trying to build a space to help uh, connect and catalyze and resource the post-evangelical church and that I've been raising some funds to try to cover half my salary for the next two years and expenses that's associated with that. And and I just got to tell you, I'm so grateful for um, several churches have jumped in on helping me with that. Uh, a lot of individuals have, many of you uh, here in the last podcast reached out to me. I'm so grateful for that. I'm actually at about 65% of what I'll need for this next year to cover half my salary and the expenses that'll be associated with with doing this work, which just is phenomenal, actually. I'm really grateful for that. And if any of you want to continue to help with that, if you want to jump in on that to help create space for those who feel ecclesiologically homeless and to help churches that are sort of filling this void and to help them get connected, to help at some point, even as Lindsay was mentioning, to create some sort of like resource list for where those churches are. Jason and I talked about last time creating space for churches to share resources amongst themselves and helping to catalyze new churches that feel like um, that they want to create an imagination for this space or trying to figure out what it looks like to engage in the space. We want to help them do that. And so I'm engaging in that work over this next year and over the next couple of years, actually trying to build something that would be self-sufficient and self-sustaining in that area. And so if you want to be a part of that, first, if you got questions, you want to talk to me about it, I would love to uh, send me a note at mike at mikegoldsworthy.com. You can email me there. I'd love to follow up with you if you want. just want to have a conversation about it, you want to sit in the backyard and talk, you want to have some time over Zoom or a phone call, I'd love to, I'd love to connect and talk with you more about it. Or even if you're a leader in the church in some sort of way and you feel like you're in this space and you just want to be known and you're like, hey, 
I want to get connected in some of the things that you're doing. I'm talking to multiple leaders a week who that's the case of, and I would love to get to connect with you. So shoot me, shoot me a note, Mike at MikeGoldsworthy.com. Secondly, if you would like to just like make a tax deductible donation before the end of the year, or um, several of you have been so generous and are starting to give monthly towards that, and that's really, really kind and generous of you. I don't take that at all for granted. Um, but if that's something that you want to be a part of, you can make checks out to We Ministries, W-E Ministries, and you can mail that to me at Mike Goldsworthy, and the address is 6285 East Spring Street, number 474, Long Beach, California, 90808. And I'll put all that in the show notes so you can follow up there. But um, friends, I'm so grateful for your generosity. I'm grateful for you joining with me on this journey. And it's been so good to hear from so many of you who who resonate with this work and are excited about it happening and are excited to be able to connect in these sorts of churches and in these kinds of faith spaces. So, um, so thanks for just coming alongside in this journey. And so until next time, we got some got some new friends lined up that um, that I'm going to be interviewing over these next couple of months in this space. I'm looking forward to hearing from them. But until then. Grace and peace to you, my friends.